What is resilience? This inner strength, the ability to come back after adversity, not being derailed by life, believing you will prevail. It's so important in our lives and our careers. So can we build it? Can we build that buffer? Well, yes, we can. And here's how. Hi, I'm Penny DeVonk. Welcome to Grit in the Oyster, a podcast offering insights for women leaders. Why grit in the oyster? Well, because an oyster makes pearls from a foreign object or irritation. And that's often how we can feel as women leaders in organizations today. The trick is not to get spat out, but to grow into that natural gem. Through conversations with leaders and experts in the field of women in leadership, I hope to offer insight and inspiration as well as practical advice, helping you navigate those grit in the oyster moments or times in your career. It's an opportunity to reflect, to step out of the fray, to tune out some of the noise and tune into being the best leader you can be. It's my great pleasure to welcome this morning Amy Morin. In 2015, Amy gave one of the most popular TEDx talks of all time, The Secret of Becoming Mentally Strong. It's been viewed more than 15 million times. She was named the self-help guru of the moment by The Guardian, and Forbes dubbed her a thought leadership star. Amy is a Scottish-born licensed clinical social worker, psychotherapist, and psychology lecturer at Northeastern University. She's a regular contributor to Forbes, Business Insider, and Psychology Today, where her articles on mental strength reach more than 2 million readers each month. She's also the author of the international bestseller, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, as well as 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do. And it's the incredibly powerful 13 Things Mentally Strong Women Don't Do that we're going to be exploring today. A very warm welcome, Amy. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. Listen, great. Resilience. This thing called resilience All of our resilience is clearly being tested in these incredibly challenging coronavirus times. Do you believe we can build our resilience or are some people just hardwired that way? I definitely think we can build it. We all have the opportunity to say, how do do I become mentally stronger? And I try to tell people too that when we talk about resilience, people are often referring to bouncing back. So when you fail, when something bad happens, it's about how, how are you going to come back from that? But I encourage people to build mental strength, which isn't just for the bad times, but it's for the good times too. When you build mental muscle, you can really enjoy life's fullest pleasures and you can reach your greatest potential. And it's not just about bouncing back or getting better when you're sick. It's about wellness. It's about emotional well-being and becoming the best version of yourself, even in the good times. That's fantastic. And certainly that's the golden thread through your book, 13 Things Mentally Strong Women Don't Do, that you wrote to empower women to build their mental muscles so they become, as you say, the strongest and best versions of themselves. And when I was reading it, many of the 13 things really resonated with the you know women executives I coach, especially things like perfectionism, imposter syndrome, overthinking, blaming themselves. I wonder if we could take a few of those and explore them, perhaps starting with perfectionism this drive to be perfect, which I don't see as prevalent in the men I coach, you know, from always just either being dissatisfied, generally dissatisfied, through to experiencing constructive feedback as if it's a personal attack. Can we talk about that perfectionism? Yeah, it's one of those things that often we think is almost a badge of honor. You'll hear somebody say something like, oh, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. 
But to really be a perfectionist isn't anything we should brag about. It holds us back. It keeps us stuck. It's hard to get anything done when you're a perfectionist. It's more prevalent in women. And when we look at the studies of why that might be, we find that we treat little boys a little differently than we treat little girls. So for example, we might praise little boys for their effort and their hard work, but we tend to praise girls for a job well done. We say, oh, great job getting an A on the test, or you uh, performed so well at the, at the recital, rather than talking about how they practiced for it or how, how much effort they put in. And so little girls grow up often thinking that it's all about the outcome and that they only get praised for uh, for doing a really good job. So even if they tried really hard or if they put in a lot of effort, that that's not as important. And so that sort of perfectionism um, just teaches us that, okay, I can't put anything out in the world unless I know it's going to be perfect. And that's a really tough way to live because it puts so much pressure on us. And obviously we can't be perfect. Yeah, for sure. And when it comes um perfectionism, in executives, as women executives, who may well, it may well have served them very well in terms of delivering work. And, and I observe they get to a certain stage where it absolutely doesn't serve them very well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really difficult to work for perfectionists because they set the bar impossibly high for not just themselves, but for other people. And that makes it really tough to to jump in and say, how do I how do I work for this person in a way that makes me look flawless? Because obviously you're going to make mistakes and you're going to fail sometimes, but they often get angry, they mm -hmm. get upset, they get frustrated when, when you mess up. So what can women do about this tendency to perfectionism? Well, first of all, it's about noticing it and recognizing, okay, am I expecting too much? We want to set the bar high, but you don't want to set it too high. And sometimes for women who don't want to give it up because they think it serves them well, you just need to create a list of well, what, what are the pros and cons of being a perfectionist? And then what are the pros and cons of giving it up? And sometimes women realize, okay, maybe I could be happier. Maybe I could be healthier. Maybe I can enjoy life a little bit more if I'm not a perfectionist, if I stop putting so much pressure on myself. And when they do that, it's about managing their thoughts. So if they start to think, oh, I can't hand this report in because it's not perfect, or mm -hmm. I can't leave the house until I look flawless, changing those thoughts can help them to feel a little bit better and it can help them become braver and say, I'm going to go out there even if things aren't perfect. Okay. So a lot of the, a lot of your work and advice is sort of about exactly that, chipping away at our inaccurate core beliefs, training our brain to sort of be on our side as opposed to constantly on our case. Is this sort of what you observe as well around self-doubt, which, you know, I certainly observe puts a real lid on women's success and happiness. And you also reference that in your book. Yes. Self-doubt can be a huge barrier when people think, oh, I can't do this. I'm not going to be very good at it. Sometimes we don't even bother to try because our brain convinces us that we can't. And the truth is our brain really tries hard to keep us in our comfort zones and it doesn't want us to do anything different. So it'll try to talk you out of doing things. And most of the time we're more capable and competent than our brain gives ourselves credits for. Yeah. And I guess self-doubt can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Too often self-doubt tries to talk us out of doing things. Like it doesn't want us to try something new. It doesn't want us to go to a new place. It tells us we don't belong. And if you're not careful and you believe those things, then obviously it'll affect your behavior. And when you don't put yourself out there, you aren't going to succeed. So it can definitely become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. So is there anything women can do about this if this is something that they tend to self-doubt? Well, sometimes people think they have to get rid of all their self-doubt, but that's not the case. Sometimes it's just more about 
recognizing that you have it and that what you think isn't always true. You can challenge your self-doubt and just remind yourself, okay, my brain says, you know, maybe I shouldn't pass in this report or my brain says, don't try for a promotion. We'll try it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Don't go believing your self-doubt. Amy, what about overthinking, ruminating on worst case scenarios, sort of that persistent worry, which is often a three or four o'clock in the morning story. Is it the case that women ruminate and worry more than men? It is. When they've done studies on this, they found that women tend to rehash things over and over again a lot more than men do. Okay. Is it a bad thing? It is. So rumination is uh, linked to depression. It's linked to anxiety. There's really two parts to ruminating, and one part is about thinking uh, about the past and thinking, rehashing things over and over again. The other part is about dwelling on the future. Maybe you worry about what if, what if this happens, what if that happens, and you think about all the worst case scenarios of outcomes. And so it can be really difficult if you get stuck in that pattern, because the only time you can change your behavior is right now. And if you're dwelling on the past or you're worrying about the future, you can't do anything about it. So how do you train your brain to, to tame your brain in that respect? So part of it is just becoming more aware of it. Mm. So often people think that they're problem solving, but they're not. First part is to recognize, am I doing anything to solve the problem or am I just rehashing how awful I feel about the problem? And if you can solve the problem, thinking about it is helpful. But if you can't solve it, uh, dwelling on it isn't going to do you any good. And then if you catch yourself overthinking, sometimes it's about setting a time limit. Maybe you say, I'm going to worry about this for 20 minutes, and then you go do something else. Mm -hmm. um, and I talk a lot about the different exercises in my book. You can actually schedule time to worry. It's a super effective exercise backed by science that can free your brain up during the day. It's about scheduling 15 minutes a day to actually sit and worry. And if you do that, you train your brain to say, okay, there's a time limit on this. I'm not going to worry 24-7. I'm just going to worry for 15 minutes a day. I love it. Listen, a lot of my coaching is supporting women to build the insight and capability to manage skillfully the, the double bind they experience as women leaders, needing to be leader-like, authoritative, confident, competent. And yet those behaviors are often judged through a gender lens. Is it still the case that leadership is perceived even unconsciously as having masculine attributes? and that women can be penalized for the same sort of leadership behaviors as men? Unfortunately, yes. When they ask people to draw a picture of a leader, for example, uh, almost everybody draws a picture of a man, even women in today's world, which is quite fascinating. So I think if, you know we have this bias where we tend to think that men are leaders or that they're better leaders. And we know from the research that when women say, get angry in a meeting, they're often uh, referred to as, you know, being too emotional. Whereas if a man gets angry in a meeting, we think, oh, he's passionate about this and he's more persuasive. So women are definitely penalized sometimes for having a more masculine traits when they lead. But at the same time, we think that men are better leaders. It's a difficult bind for women who are in leadership positions. Okay. So your book references research showing that women are more likely to take criticism personally and that women are likely to be more hard on themselves for not doing something well, whereas men, on the other hand, are more likely to convince themselves the critic is wrong and they're more likely to argue with the critic and can treat criticism and rejection like separate entities. So it's sort of a challenge. You're managing this double bind, potentially being penalized for the same behavior, but also you've got some sort of defaults in your brain uh, that aren't really serving your mental strength well. 
is it the case that men are likely to be more more Teflon and less Velcro with personal criticism? It is. There's tons of research that backs that up, that men can often not take it as personal as women do. So I think for women to just recognize that can hold us back. If somebody says something to you about your performance at work and you uh, are so upset about it that you struggle to move forward, then it becomes a problem. In fact, you know, I included a study in the book about how criticism often reflects the critic more than it reflects uh, the person receiving the criticism. Mm. And so I think for me personally, that's a, a wonderful thing to remember and to keep that in mind that sometimes when somebody says, you know, you, you're underperforming, you're not doing well, it's actually that they might feel that way about themselves and they give that same feedback to a lot of people in their lives. Interesting. Um, yeah, that's a nice reframe, isn't it? Because you're actually just listening to them, which is a nice barrier to put up. Exactly. Can we talk about cognitive distortions, Amy, and and what you referenced, the sort of unhelpful self-talk that, again, just erodes our resilience? We all have cognitive distortions, and it's difficult to recognize them. But the truth is, we don't see things the same that way that other people see them. We see them through a certain lens. So if you're anxious, you might always see things from the what-if angle, thinking about all the bad things that could happen. Or if somebody's depressed, they struggle to see the glass half full. And so just recognizing, what are my cognitive distortions? What's another way somebody else might look at this? And to catch those unhelpful thoughts that you have. A good question is to just say, well, what would I say to my friend who had this problem? And that kind of distances you from your emotions a little bit and can help you see something in a slightly different way. Okay, interesting. Um, why do so many women struggle with advocating for themselves or talking about their success, um, you know, and suffer from imposter syndrome, I guess? I certainly see women who convince themselves uh, quite actively that they're not good enough or just have a nagging little voice telling them that. I know both men and women suffer from this, but where does it come from and what's the effect it has on someone's career? We tend to praise girls for being quiet, for being good, for being polite. And I, so I think a lot of women grow up thinking that that's the right way to be. And it can certainly affect our careers. So we know that Asking for a raise makes it much more likely that you'll get paid more money or applying for promotions, speaking up in meetings. And when we don't do those things, it can certainly hold us back. Mm, okay. Amy, in the nature of our you know, coronavirus times, a lot of people are thinking about what's important to them having to really build their resilience. And um, what you've made really clear is that you can be your best mental strength coach if you can do that uh, brain training. And your book is rich with great advice and practical advice on how to manage that. But a lot of people are also talking about reinventing themselves at this time. There's been a big crossroads. And what I also find is that women who are doing that reinvention often get sort of tripped up around, am I authentic? And I, I don't see men tripping themselves up on that. Can we talk about reinvention and authenticity? Yeah, a lot of times women will think, well, if I do something out of the ordinary, then I'm not being true to myself. And so they sort of stay stuck in a box, whether they were a stay-at-home parent or they're a business person, so they don't want to do anything that, that doesn't go along with what they think their character is. But the truth is we should all be growing, we should all be changing, we should all be evolving, and that might mean that maybe you take up meditation in your 60s or you decide when you're 50 that you're going to switch careers. 
the truth is being your authentic self often means that you're growing, evolving, and changing and doing things. And the people around you might not always understand why you're doing something completely different, but that's okay. And to know that there's different aspects to your personality and you don't just have to be static your whole life. Mm, really interesting. Amy, what advice might you have? Your, As I say, your book is rich with advice. And I love the fact that it's about what uh, mentally strong people don't do, which is really important. What advice might you have for uh, women leaders and aspiring leaders who are listening right now about the things that they could do to build their resilience? Mental strength is a lot like physical strength. If you want to become physically strong, you'd need to go lift weights. Similarly, mental strength, you can do some mental strength exercises throughout the day. It might involve practicing gratitude or scheduling time to worry or challenging yourself every day or talking to yourself more like you'd talk to a trusted friend. There's tons of mental strength exercises that we can all do, and there's always room for improvement. I love it. Amy, you've got the, the book is just a fantastic practical guide and uh, throws into relief the insight we, we need to have, the self-awareness we need to have about what our brains are doing to us and uh, how we can actually build some mental muscle. Uh, never been more important in our lives and our careers right now. Amy, so appreciate you joining us today from Florida. And uh, it's just been an absolute delight getting to know you. Thank you so much, Amy Morin. Thank you so much for allowing me to be on your show. Thanks for listening to Grit in the Oyster. If you're enjoying our conversations, do subscribe, rate and review us on your podcast platform and join me again soon. You can also find more information and resources on building your best leadership self on pennydevolk.com, including my blog that covers topics from how to negotiate powerfully as a woman and building your authority through to having your voice heard and boosting confidence, all in support of building your leadership career.